be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to the Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. With me this week are my co-hosts, Victoria. Hello. And Jamin. Hello. Hi, and I'm Jacob. Hi. Before we get started, I want to ask you, Jamin, about your non-standard branding today. You're working with the SHPCA. H. H. S. This is the Hell Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Oh, I oh. thought it was P for potential cruelty to animals. <laughs> oh. It might be. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of pets today, and some of them aren't going to be that cuddly. That's true, but only one of them has an unhappy ending. It's very old yeller, sort of. Oh. oh. So, uh, we, so how do we um, join this organization, and is there merch? Send Jamin $20. And- I was say, I, I do accept donations. Uh-huh. I could make you CEO if you give the right donation. Oh, okay. Just just put Thirty some decimal bucks. points in there. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll think about that. Do you take Bitcoin? I'm going to go on a whim and say yes, because, <laughs> you know, like half a penny might be useful someday. <laughs> Let me take a quick screenshot. Everybody Vogue. Okay, that'll do it. Thank you. For those of you that find this picture on the social media, Please note my beautiful font choice. This is graphic design from hell. That's, 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 that is P for papyrus, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Hell Society for Papyrus Cruelty to Artists. <laughs> papyrus is cruel. There are only two <laughs> fonts on the level of Vainglorious. Papyrus oh, comic and Comic Sans. Sans. Yeah, those mm-hmm. two. I almost used Comic Sans. But I was like, no, I, I can't, I can't not. Maybe like a good solid dingbat font as well. Maybe Helvetica. Ah, oh, uh, no. Okay, no, okay, no, yeah, no. I'll take that. Uh, I refuse. I refuse. Uh, okay. All right. So, what's going to be our topic for the day? Hell pets, hell pets, hell, hell pets. Okay, pets. so pets of hell, critters you might see in the underworld, chthonic critters. Mm-hmm. We are intentionally skipping over Kerberos and and the Wild Hunt because those are going to be their own episodes down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do entire episodes on the Kerberi. Yeah. And all the black dogs. So many black dogs. So many black dogs. I do want to include one black dog because it's really cute. Oh, yeah. I think it's worth it. Okay. Slightly cute. So what did people bring to the party today? So I brought a drink called the Old Goat. It is... One and one half ounce Jennifer, and please note that Jennifer is different from gin. And juniper. And, well, it Jennifer is the Dutch word for juniper. Oh. It creates confusion. However, it's Jennifer is kind of the love child of whiskey and gin, and it's been made in the Netherlands since the 13th century. Wow. That's, yeah. That's a storied beverage that I've never heard yep. of. Just a side note, we went to one of the old older distilleries in Amsterdam named, and, and stay with me, Wine and Fucking. 
and it's just somebody's like the, name. Just like the distilleries here. <laughs> it's somebody's name, and they're very serious to point out, this is a name. Americans, stop giggling. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think Amazon will let us keep our rating. <laughs> so it has it has Jennifer, three-quarter ounce creme de cassis, ginger ale, and a lime wedge. And you combine the Jennifer and creme de, creme de cassis in an ice-filled Collins glass. Top with ginger ale and stir. Squeeze oh. and add the lime wedge. Okay, hang on. Creme de cassis is black currants. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I imagine all of our British listeners would love. It's, yep. That sounds sort of European. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, juniper, black currant, and a lime wedge. Mm-hmm. Like a, with, a, with like a malty whiskey note yeah, in the juniper. Like you're licking the black forest. Mmm. Okay. I have not heard of, I think, most of these ingredients. Except for, have you heard of limes and ginger ale? Yeah, I was going to say, lime, (laughs) I knew lime, that was it, moving on. He's been protecting you from ginger ale his entire life. (laughs) I think he's ready. Is creme de cassis actually a, like, does it have dairy in it, or? No. Mm -mm. Okay. (laughs) It's like creme de You warm up a pair of tweezers, and you go to the current. (laughs) That's right. So, yeah, yeah like I, our British listeners would love creme de cassis. They probably already do. And our American listeners have no clue what a black currant is. Oh, no. I think black currant has crossed the pond. Maybe. <laughs> do you want to learn something new about Jennifer? You may already know this. Okay. So, Jennifer is distilled from malt wine. Uh huh. So, basically, it's like wine you turn into brandy. Uh-huh. This, you literally take Schlitz malt liquor and distill it. Huh. I think the Dutch would be very upset by that. And no, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's technically what you've got is distilled Schlitz malt liquor, oh, which they then put juniper berries in. Oh, man. We've, we, lost, we lost our Dutch yeah. listener, I'm sure. <laughs> we were going to be we big. We had in, a Dutch listener. We were going to be big in Denmark this year. <laughs> Netherlands. You want to try that one again? <laughs> okay, so we lost any hope of ever. He didn't say. Dutch he didn't listener. say Denmark. He said Den Haag. I'm gonna. Hear, oh, there you go. Quick Discord. save. <laughs> Discord's gonna get on us about this. It's true. True. Oh dear, we have to teach. <laughs> we have to teach Jamin about ginger ale and Jacob, ale. Jacob about basic geography. <laughs> well, you've been you've been sick. You're 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 granted a hall pass. You know, I've been failing geography for years, so. <laughs> well, that, that actually, it's funny that you you brought a drink called the goat because I actually brought cabritos. <gasps> goat tacos. Mm, yum. Not little goats. Oh, my God. If you had tiny goats, I would get in the car right now and drive over. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a tiny goat party. Lots of little head butting. Yeah. In so many cultures. The goat is a part of the family, right? It sometimes lives inside, you feed it, you milk it daily, and it provides to you. you know, mm-hmm. goat this milk. explains a lot about the state of our kitchen. <laughs> and just like any pet, when your beloved family pet like, is no longer capable of giving milk, you treat it to the most loving finish ever in which you slaughter it and eat it, and it provides to you. Jamin, neither of our dogs has ever given milk, so I'm really worried about this entire line of reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> I did my buy a hundred pack I, of I've tortillas. I've never my cats. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Cat tacos sounds terrible. 
It does. Yeah. Very stringy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if anybody, I'm sure, no, nobody eats cats. Coyotes do. I'm going to have to Google for this now. Cat tacos? Cat mint, cat comestibles. You know, we've had a bunch of really great band names and album mm-hmm. names and video ideas. Mm-hmm. I think cat tacos would be the stupidest band ever. I came up with one at work the other day, Bitcoin Vampires. Hmm. Oh. See? Yeah. That's a good one, isn't it? That, that's, that's good. In China, cat meat is the main ingredient in a traditional dish, dragon, tiger, and phoenix. Snake, cat, and chicken. Oh, that make, I was wondering what the dragon might be. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, what, you know, the rumors of there being sort of a, an off, me- like there's kind of a secret menu at McDonald's where you get like land, sea, and sky, and <laughs> it's to- like a filet of fish. Go to a McDonald's, hamburger patty. <laughs> ask them for the cat burger. <laughs> and the sky, I think it's a chicken, Pat, yeah. but there's some Land kind of weird sky. thing. Because the thing is, like, chickens don't fly. Wait. Well, neither do dinosaurs, but they're still birds. That's true. Yeah. but So go try that at McDonald's. <laughs> See what the clown gives you. See if That's they give the- you cat, snake, chicken. That's the worst advice you've ever given anybody. Go to McDonald's? <laughs> Did you really just say Did, Is I'm it really the worst advice I've given anybody? <laughs> Have you met me? <laughs> was there more in your dish, Jamin? No, is it no, that was it. Delicious tacos. I'm uh, I lo- yeah, I love Caprito. I ha- I am ashamed I'm ashamed to say cuz I love goats too and they're super smart. <laughs> they're super cute. Mhm. Well, I brought some entertainment. Oh. Alrighty. Yes, mm-hmm. this week for our amusement, scorpion-legged demons will use tusks and skewers to carry sinners from one side of a vast cemetery to the other, the first side covered in pitch, the other, th- other side spouting flames. Is this some kind of game? Well, I mean, you take the sinners to the mm-hmm. place with the tar, then you bring mm-hmm. them to the place with the open flames, uh-huh. and there's presumably a celebratory flambe moment, and then uh-huh. repeat. Right. For, so is there m- like- for millennia. Okay. Okay. So it's a back and forth situation. Right. 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 Yes. Okay. When you're mm-hmm. done toasting them, you bring them back and pitch. It's like a twice baked potato, but with tar. You're the potato. Right. Mm-hmm. Forever. Mm, forever well, potato. When you started, I kind of had like a southern moment where I I was sure you were going to say one side was covered with pitch and the other side was covered with feathers. <laughs> Barbecue sauce. Did you say a southern moment? Yeah. <laughs> Please explain. Well, you tar and feather them and you run them out of town on a rail. Oh, okay. They don't I thought do you were that talking about food. Uh huh. Gotcha, the Yankees gotcha, are gotcha. civilized. Because I would, I would feel like the tar instead of tar, you would have gravy, like cream gravy, if, if there were the South. That's heaven. Yeah. Why would you waste good cream gravy on a carpet bagger? For your service to heaven, <laughs> you will be dunked in gravy forever. Yes, God, yes. <laughs> yes, please. I'm down. Hands <laughs> <laughs> mm. okay. sinking slowly down to the gravy pool. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> uh, let's talk about hell news. Okay. What hell news have you? I'm not entirely sure this is... No, this is kind of on topic. So this is relatively recent. I learned about a web project, multimedia sort of thing, called the Codex Inversus. Mm-hmm. This is a Renaissance art collage project. 
that uses kind of old old works to build an almost D and D fantasy world. This is D and D fantasy world because they list like tieflings and things like that. But all of these different elements are kind of brought together into this idea that there's this world where several different universes collided, and this is the result. But it's all photoshopped collages of different images, animal imagery on people. I wanted to share with you this image called uh, the Necromancer and his bees. Ooh. We like bees. In this world, the Necromancer bees are scavengers that have the ability to animate small corpses like mice and things like that and use them as moving beehives, sometimes called zombie hives. Oh, wow. Oh, that explains the tiny corpses in the background. It does. It does. And this Necromancer is kind of a, I don't know the original picture, but it's this kind of one young man with long blonde hair and glowing blue bees around him. Anyway, it's a really neat universe. I stumbled across it on YouTube on a video called The Creatures of Codex Inversus. I-N-V-E-R-S-U-S. And it was just really amazing stuff. A really deep dive into, like, just Renart collage, uh, biblically accurate, strange angel-type things. Uh, the script is very kind of Enochian, demonic sigil. Uh, it's neat stuff. Cool. I swear this guy looks like the actor Cody Fern. Oh. Is he generally surrounded by glowing blue bees? No, he's the dude who wears the... Uh, who's Kind of internet famous because, well, he's famous famous, but also internet famous because he had the beautiful leather cloven hoof boots. Oh, oh right. yeah, the him with the boots. boots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the last few years, he's been in every season of American Horror Story and American Horror Stories. And he's kind of like Lucifer Beauty, beautiful. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's some, I think that that's appropriate hell news. So the news that I have, it's good hell news, is that Salman Rushdie, unfortunately, was was stabbed recently. However, this has brought the Satanic Verses back into popularity, and it is uh, its sales are soaring. So more people uh, are reading that important and very interesting book. Well, if I want to get my one gaming article back into circulation. <laughs> oh, I feel like there are better ways to do that. I know, the poor dude, like, he's lived such a hard enough life. It's fiction. It's fiction, indeed. And, like, imagine, like, <clears throat> if Isaac Asimov had pissed off the, the, well, I'm sure he did, but no one stabbed him. Right. And Pierce, like Pierce the, Anthony, like, people might want to. And yeah. The thought was decades, oh. decades old, because the book came out in the 80s, maybe 83 or something. It's been out for maybe 83 is like 88. Let's it's, yeah, it's in I the mean, 80s. Yeah. That was like when I was a kid news. I was <laughs> I was a fully fledged adult. I read it in grad school. Oh, neat. Mhm. Mhm. It's a really good book. I read the Cliff Notes. Ah, uh, well, I mean, you should read the whole book cuz it's actually really like engaging and funny in places. Hmm. 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 I will take your recommendation. And I can file you it away copy. for future contemplation. I'm going to bring he, it over to y'all's house. No. <laughs> he, he, he needs the royalties right now, so now is the time. Uh-huh. Good, just go he, buy He's a having copy. a bad day. Mm-hmm. He's having a really bad day. He did have a bad day. Uh-huh. Oh, and some other news. This, it's just another road trip that we need to do, especially when we touch on this topic. But Meow Wolf in Santa Fe... Oh, no, no. Is it the one? It's, no, it's, sorry. It's the Meow Wolf in Las Vegas. There's several 
meow wolves now which, but which there's was a, amazing yes <laughs> there's an artist uh named justin favela who has made pinata versions of the seven deadly sins that are a part of the installation at meow wolf vegas and that one's called omega mart oh omega mart is a seven i guess i guess that logically follows if i had, mm-hmm. if i'd even thought about it never mm-hmm. mind yeah so i seriously want to go I've been to the uh, one in Santa Fe, but I haven't been to this one or the ride, the theme park ride in Colorado. I don't think he necessarily made that up. Mexican Pinata has seven points representing the seven deadly sins. Envy, loss, slutney, slutney, et cetera. Slutney. <laughs> slutney, this eighth deadly slutney. sin. Slutney, ooh. And then with your stick, you break it apart, and that's kind of triumphing over sin. That may not be a concept unique to Omega Mart and Meow Wolf. That's cool. I never, th- I mean, I uh, but have been. But then after you defeat the Seven Deadly Sins, you get candy, which you then devour in a gluttonous rage. Well, no, there's an end boss. Sluttony. I was going to say, <laughs> is it sexy candy? You devour in a sluttonous rage. Well, you can get pinatas filled with condoms and lube. <laughs> what is that I silence? <laughs> I didn't actually know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't could you, gone pinata shopping in a while. Well, you, I mean, for the most part, you can, you can fill your own pinatas. You could put whatever you want in there. You could put macaroni and cheese in there if you want. Cabritos. You could put, you could put tiny goats in there if you want. All right, guys. Uh-huh. I mean, you Time can get lunch. pre-filled and then you can fill your own too. The favela's gluttony uh, pinata looks like a glorious meatball with like hamburger warts all over it and tinsel streaming down it looks like shining things and pasta it is amazing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the uh the greed one is pretty cool it's very inspiring it makes me want to make seven deadly sin art yeah just collage uh, renaissance art collage mm-hmm. or we could make uh latch hook rugs i'd never thought of that it's very soothing <laughs> well now should we move on to animalia Animalia. Well, moving on Slutness to- Slutness Animalia. Slutney. <laughs> Slutney Animalia. Slutness. Moving on to the topic at hand, we are here today to discuss Hellpats. Hellpats. The pets of hell. So I think I've, I've won this round with the biggest Hellpat of all. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with Leviathan. I think that's a good place to start. I think so, too. I mean, there are obviously a lot of, like, horrible monsters in hell. And, like, we talked about Behemoth, who's just sort of hippo thing and it's not really a pet but leviathan uh, i'm going to be reading from psalm 104 uh we're, we're having a pay into god here you bring darkness it becomes night and all the beasts of the forests prowl the lions roar for their prey and seek their food from god the sun rises and they steal away they return and lie down in their dens then people go out to work i'll get a leviathan eventually to their labor until evening how many are your works lord In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro in Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures looked up to you to give their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Hmm. So Leviathan is typically a monster. He, she is kind of in the chaos comp category of unruly chaos beasts the epic battle between order and chaos, storm and sea. But in this particular image, Leviathan is is seen as playful. 
And I think there's a rabbinic commentary later on that says that God created Leviathan specifically to play with him or her. And I just love that because this is this is the devouring maw of hell in some stories. This is the hellmouth. And mm-hmm. the image of it being playful under the surface and like snacking from breadcrumbs thrown by God is really beautiful. It's pretty Frolicking. sweet. Mm-hmm. And I think if you kind of illogically extend that, because Leviathan is the dragon of Revelation, is Satan, then maybe kind of all of Prince of Darkness mythology is just one pet that God has kind of dangling a string over. (gasps) Dangling a string and he frolics, like Leviathan pounches. (laughs) Yes. He sticks his butt in the air and he wiggles it. It's a big, Mm -hmm. it's like an endless butt. It's like Jormander sized butt. Wiggle, wiggle, Mm -hmm. wiggle, wiggle. Yes. He likes laser pointers. Um, So Leviathan is tied to Mott. Which is um, the, the big worm? Yeah, the big worm. Death. I think it appears in, in Egypt as well. And I think Mott is the original Hellmouth. So Hellmouths are kind of given this kind of whale, sea serpent look. Although later on, when they incorporate um, Norse imagery, Norse shrimagery, when they incorporate shrimagery from Norse, oh, um, mm-hmm. they start looking more wolfy, more mammalian during the Middle Ages. But I think as you get into the 15th, 16th century, they start looking more sea monstery again. Because basically in the 16th century, everything fun gets taken out of religion. That is true. It is. Did you ever hear the word drollery? Yes. Oh, okay. Have we used that one before? That's the like cute little marginalia in illuminated manuscripts. It's amazing. Like lots of snails and bunnies. Yeah, the fight the and- knights fighting bunnies and things like that. It's just kind of charmingly weird. And it mm-hmm. also fell out of favor in the 1500s-ish, so I wonder if this is kind of just the general like lack of humor of the period. I think there was some sluttness marginalia as oh, well. Yeah. I think they, they worked a little blue sometimes, kind of like with the misery chords in, in cathedrals. You know, when we had this conversation, I mean, <clears throat> when we talked about this uh, unscripted and uh, fresh, and we said drollery marginalia, I did not actually put the two together. You meant like the drollery in the margins. Yes. That marginalia. Yeah. I thought you just meant like like small, cute, and not really the point of it. I mean, oh God. Well, it's it's charming little <sighs> illustrations in the corners of illuminated manuscripts. Mm-hmm. They you sure gets learn something. Boring. Mm-hmm. Like just write, you know, creating these tomes gets boring after a yeah. while, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. You got to do something. I was watching a video on um, Hieronymus Bosch, and they talked about drolleries as being some kind of a source of his inspiration. So that's that's why it's fresh in my head. That makes total sense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, I can see that. Hmm. What was the other thing we learned about illuminated manuscript? You were taken by the red oh, letters. Oh, the red. So, yeah. So in illuminated manuscripts, the capitals of some words were, were painted red. Okay. Or words of importance were painted red. Yeah, yeah, like and the, so the words of God the words were usually of, red. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and like chapter headings were mm-hmm. yeah. were often like painted red because like, hey, pay attention, this part is important or this word is important. And the act of painting something red is rubrification. Okay, and it's literally red making. <gasps> Ooh, rubrification. That sounds. And that, it's like, is that related to rubrics? Yeah. It's like, so in college, when your professor's saying, okay, okay, guys, here's the rubric for the class. Here's the rubric for this, uh-huh. this, et cetera. I'm like, this is the bits painted red to pay attention to it. 
Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Manuscripts. Wow. I knew this was where the phrase red letter day came from, which made me happy when I learned that. Yeah, it was like everything tied together. It's just this simple, oh, we were bored, so we made it red. Yeah. Wow. Also snails. I've seen some King James Bibles that that have Mm -hmm. that. So I guess it carried forward. The, uh, there was a really nice book of the Gospels published by the Jesus Project people, and they had uh, the red letters were what they were confident Jesus said in the like Q Gospel and such. Mm-hmm. And then I think dark blue were things they thought Jesus would probably have said. And then <laughs> so is it paraphrasing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then black was things that Jesus could have said, and some other color was um, probably words that were put in Jesus's mouth by people that had. Um, mm. Agendas. That is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like this that. This is attributed to Jesus, but probably not by him. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole Bible. <laughs> Thou shalt go to McDonald's. Jesus didn't write the Bible. Nobody says Jesus wrote the Bible. I know, Victoria but you know it. what I'm saying. You know, no, like, no. it's <clears throat> that the, it's supposed to be directly the word of God. And, okay. You know. Then it all should be whatnot. read. <gasps> yeah, it all should be read if one were to believe that. So it's not as if you know when it when when men touch it touch anything, it's not as if they ever bring their own interests in it, into it. So okay, so uh, you mentioned Jormungandr, who uh, is is that how you say it? Yep. Oh, I have it here. Awful. Jormungandr, Jormungandr, who is the Midgard or World Serpent, and he's kind of a I don't know if he's a harbinger of doom or a mitigator of doom or not. No, no, no. Not mitigator, instigator of doom. Instigator. I have to pause because I'm looking at our show notes for this episode. And I see that everything that Victoria has written is in red. See, it's very, oh. very important. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's blood red. So it's actually my own blood. Oh. Mm-hmm. I, I, I put that in our printer sometimes. Shh. And then it jams. <laughs> and then... A demon comes out. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, he is the enemy of Thor. There's uh, a couple of key stories in the mythology. One about his encounters with Thor that there's two keys. Well, actually, there's three. But the, the, the first two are where he there's a series of challenges that he undertakes, including one of the challenges is him lifting a gray cat. That spoiler alert turns out to be Jormungandr. And then there's another looks one. nothing that- like a cat. It's true, but he was turned into it um, in order to trick Thor, and Thor actually was able to lift him so that one of his paws was off the ground, so everybody was like, oh my god, that's amazing. It's just um, a meme of, like, long cat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Hang in there. But also, he uh, there's, another ta- uh, of, there's another tale of kind of uh, mean-spirited fishing trip. <laughs> so... Jormungandr is kind of a Norse Ouroboros, uh, and the big deal about him is that when his tail leaves his mouth, that's when Ragnarok starts. So he is kind of the one of like the first event in Ragnarok, right? Okay, or one of the first when he shifts his mighty scales. It's Black Friday shopping season. (laughs) Exactly. So he is one of the children of Loki, which includes Fenrir and Hel. And the three of them are, again, going to battle the gods in Ragnarok. Uh, Hel doesn't actually battle them. She sends an army of the dead to help out. But Fenrir and Jormungandr 
will be there, kind of like Gog and Magog, to fight Odin and Thor specifically. Yeah, Odin and Jormungandr are the, um, like, that's the two big at the end, right? Yeah, and, uh, well, Thor fights Jormungandr and Odin fights Lo- uh, fights uh, Fenrir. Oh, I got it backwards. You're right, you're mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, Odin is the one that threw Jormungandr into the, into the ocean, into the dark realm of the dead below icy Nilflum. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Hell was consigned to the dark realm of the dead below icy Nilflum, and Jormungandr was in the sea, and then Fernware was bound to a rock. So he has his own story of the binding. And this is the world sea, like the entire sea that, it, that circles yep. the entire world. Mm-hmm. And him mm-hmm. so big, like he <laughs> just barely fits and has to bite his own tail. That's how yep. much room there is. Yeah, so he's encircling the entire world. So he's yep. kind of, you know, keeping it stable until Ragnarok. So he is understood by midday scholars as an agent of transformation because serpents tend to be that because they shed their skin and also because he sets off a new world order where there are no more gods. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he's also kind of aligned with Apep, if you recall Apep from our day's Germaner? journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very much in the unruly chaos beast that must be overthrown by a storm god. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I want really to come back epic. to that. I mean, that's that's a thing. Yeah. yeah. Also, both of them have in common the transformative angle because Apep is all about you know day to night, and Jormungandr is all about the end of the world, or and then the bringing into the world a new order. Let's see if there's something else. Oh, we don't. We'll save Ragnarok for another time. I feel like we need to do an apocalypse. Always putting off Ragnarok. <laughs> I've got one I, I, I wanted to add in on this one, specifically mm-hmm. on Jormungandr. One of our Twitter friends, uh, Jürgen, brought up that in Staffelberg, up in Upland, Franconia, which is inside the borders of Germany, there's a legend. And he, he, like, he said, hey, here's this idea I've heard of. Go look it up. Mm-hmm. So... In Staffelberg, the mountain of Staffelberg, either inside the mountain itself or in a lake near the mountain, there's a fish which swims around with its tail in its mouth. And if ever the fish lets go of that tail, Staffelberg Mountain breaks apart and it floods the village. Because Staffelberg Mountain is filled with water somehow, I understand. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's like that old gum, the squirt gum. That's filled oh, with, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. mouthwash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yummy. And so, instead of Ragnarok, the end of the world, it's just the end of Staffelberg Village. And it's like this very, very small, tiny local legend, which was very hard to find. The French have a word for le petit Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to thank Jürgen Hubert at Franconian Exile on Twitter, who is a just a deep resource for all sorts of obscure Germanic legends and translations of the same. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jürgen. He also talked about the evil chicken, which you may or may not get to. <gasps> oh, I have more on, e- on on the evil chicken. So I hope we do get to the evil chicken. Good, because I, I didn't click that link. <laughs> okay. I, I forgot. I, I ran out of time for evil chicken. I guess we don't want to talk about the evil chicken yet. So let's go back to serpents and storm gods for a minute. Right. In a lot of 
mythologies and a lot of cultures, you've got the storm god and the evil serpent. Yes. The skies and the deeps of the water. Yes. If you are going to make it to our lecture on the history of Satan's at Morbid Anatomy, uh, link in the show notes, the chapter on this will be called The Old Man and the Yam. <laughs> it's not what you think. It's, I, wow. Good God. Because I, I hadn't, I couldn't think. So, we've talked about this, the storm god and the, and the. Yam. Beast. The yam. Right. <laughs> but then at the very beginning, we've got. Oh. When we've got, Yahweh said his name was I am what I am. Oh, <gasps> God. I need a raise. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we don't get raises. We actually have to pay Jacob. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will stop interrupting you, Jamin. So, in the beginning of this episode, mm-hmm. we talked about a storm god slash wind god. Yes. Playing with a beast of the deep, frolicking. Yes. And Yahweh is a storm god. We adopted that from Baal when he did sort of the Baal takeover because right. the, the Baal versus Tiamat. Um, but Leviathan is a serpent of the deep and they're friends. In, that, in, in this version, yes, they were. Oh. I mean, this is one, you know, all stories are true. We know that. But this is just kind of one moment where Leviathan is used kind of to show the, the, the kindness and generosity of God, because this thing that is known to be a monster is frolicking for, for Yahweh. Mm. It's a happy story. So does that mean in some Scandinavian mythologies, you've got Odin, you know, taking Jormungandr for a walk in the park, just the two of them? Well, maybe not Jormungandr, but like... Hey, buddy! The, the, the names for Gary and Freki are fairly similar to Fenrir and Garmer. Mm-hmm. What yep. if... What if this actually is, like, they are friends, and Odin's out in the park, and he throws the tennis ball... To Leviathan. And Jormungandr yeah. gets... To Jormungandr, and he gets so excited to chase with the tennis ball, he oh. runs after it, and, and he lets go of his tail. Oh, no! That's the same Ragnarok. Story. Yeah. <laughs> Your buddy That's fetch. how you get Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Again. Now, now I'm seeing Jormungandr like rolling after the frisbee. <laughs> Just in slow motion. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's one more Norse dragon serpent beast yes. that is related. Oh. Nidhogg. Um Malice Striker. That's Hell's pet it's a dragon who gnaws at a root of the world tree idrasol yeah idrasol maybe idrasol mm-hmm. the name well you know malice striker it's also based on and this is um a little point for jamin uh nid was a term for social stigma so he's that's implies that he's a villain there's a thorn in there you have to, yep you have to say it with a thorn so how do you say it? i forgot how to say a thorn thorn the Th. Okay, so nith. North. Yeah, nith. It's N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-S-N-I-
(laughs) Exactly. It's very similar. And the roots of the tree are trapping him as well. And the funny part (laughs) is this tree suffers a lot because of all the creatures living in it. There's a lot. Like the tree. Yeah. It's again, like the giving tree, no boundaries, no healthy boundaries. Things are just like taking and taking and taking from this poor tree. Because there's also a squirrel who runs up and down the length of the tree, bearing envious words between the eagle and Nidhogg. Oh, it's just stirring up malice there. That's that's Mm -hmm. Reddit. Just like real squirrels. Malicious freaking squirrels. That's all they do all day is just gossip, gossip, gossip. So, Have you read the Amazing Squirrel Girl comic? No. She has- I need to read because I love squirrels. Well, Squirrel Girl, who dresses up like a squirrel and has squirrel-based powers- has a fangirl relationship with Loki going on towards the end. So it's all very complicated Norse stuff because I think she might be an avatar of Ratatosk as well. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So she's able to like bury nuts. Is that her superpower? She has the the strength, the proportional strength of a squirrel and can climb trees. Can she make that kind of funny chittering noise? She can't talk to squirrels. That's pretty awesome. She's the one that can also like, she, she never loses, right? Well, so that that is definitely what lose. she tells you. <laughs> <laughs> are we talking about the same comic? Because we are the amazing was, squirrel girl who never loses. Yes, she does. She does lose occasionally, but she is the title character. But also, Sandy and SpongeBob is a squirrel. Well, less but directly Sandy and, tied to Norse. No, yeah, Sa- Sandy and SpongeBob doesn't fangirl with Loki. Yeah. Did you just make this comic suddenly deeper than it was? <laughs> it's, Which one? It's a pretty deep comic. <laughs> Are we talking about the same comic? Yes, the Amazing Squirrel Girl. There's a gender really swap version of her, the Squirrel Earl. <laughs> Is there a Duke of Squirrel too? <laughs> the Duke of Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> squirrel, you'll be a woman soon. <laughs> well, as long as we're on Norse land, maybe we should uh, switch back to large dogs. Oh, sure. Yeah. We got a lot of Norse going on. Yeah. And two kind of chthonic large dogs from Norse land. I mean, I guess we were on Fenrir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good place to start. He's large. Oh, he is very large and in charge. Uh, so again, he's also a destroyer and an instigator of the end of the world. And another and one of Loki's kids. Another one of Loki's kids. His name means famous wolf. Well... I'm not sure that it does. Oh, really? Yes, okay. because I also use Wikipedia for my sources. And, <laughs> okay. And, I looked at other things, I promise. No, I, I okay. believe you. I believe uh-huh. you. Um, and uh, Fenrir comes from the word Fendweller. Oh, so, uh, but, that makes more sense than famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but one of, his, one of his alt names is Frothvindner, meaning fame wolf. Okay, because yeah. his downfall, when how he gets bound, is because they keep telling him, like, they're trying to get him they're they're playing on his ego. Yeah, they they bring him for an encore. Of, yep. Like, oh, you know, everyone will know that you're the strongest when you break through this particular bind, and so they keep testing binds on him. Oh. And his ego keeps showing them that, oh no, this one isn't strong enough. Oh, an interesting point about him. Uh-huh. The scholar named Meyer Shapiro theorizes that he also may be a hellmouth because of uh, one of the fights that he had with Odin, uh, Odin puts a spear in his mouth, holding it open. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And it's a big, it's a mouth that's going to devour the moon at some point in time. Mm-hmm. 
I, I had read. Or is his son going to, because there's, he has two, two kids who's the sun devourer and the moon devourer. Okay. So the sun is going to devour the sun, maybe? Yes. Uh huh. And the moon. I had read that one of the, in our Rivers of Hell episode, we talked about this briefly, that one of the Rivers of Hell is basically Fenris's drool. Yep. When his mouth was propped open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a little disgusting. There's a diagram. I'll have to send it to you of that. Like all the binds and then the river and it's all labeled. <laughs> Drool <is> from- here. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's 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 a medieval drawing. Oh, well, do do share yeah. that with us and we can, mm-hmm. we can post it on our on our show it's notes. Pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, so that's just. I feel like we should touch on him more when we do Norse mythology. Yeah, and when we do um, Kerberos, he's probably going to come up as well. I'm, mm-hmm. or at least his. Cousin Will, I don't know. The difference between Garmer and Fenrir is kind of hard for me because they get really muddled. Oh, yeah. And also we've got one that I did not find out how to pronounce. Hattie Rothvitsen. Hattie Rothvitnison. There's a thorn in there. <laughs> there is. There's a thorn in there. But I don't know. Yeah. So his name means roughly he who hates her enemy and he's a warg. Okay. The two who chase the moon and the sun, Manny chases the moon, and Skull chases the sun during the day, and then they'll swallow those at Ragnarok. But he is, again, maybe a son of Fenrir, but he's also related to a, another wolf named Menagarm, which is like, they're all maybe the same wolf. Hmm. Mm-hmm. hmm. There's mm-hmm. a lot of canines here. Yeah, and he could also be a hottie. He could also be... Manny or Skull, too, because it's Snorri Sturluson. All of this is in Snorri Sturluson, and he took some liberties. So They can all be the same wolf. because They can't? Or they can? can. They can. It's, it's totally logical, because mm-hmm. mythologies come from within, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it is by now common knowledge that inside of you are two wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many? I know Jacob is just, Jacob is just passed out. From <laughs> well, actually, we know that Garm is a separate creature from Fenris because in at least one source he's described as one a, source he's described as a very, very good boy. Well, Garm is described as the best boy. Yeah, where's mm-hmm. um? It's in the poetic Edda. Sure, the best of trees must be Drosselby, Skithlander, best of boats of all the gods is Odin the greatest, and sleep near the best of steeds by frost of bridges. Bragi of Skalds, Habrok of Hawks, and Garm of Hounds. Mm-hmm. Best boy. Assuming, oh, he's a good boy. Assuming a parallel structure there. But mm-hmm, and then he's mm-hmm. not the best boy because he's um, going to kill Tyr and do something at the end of the world that's unpleasant. I'm not sure what. It depends on, I guess, who's writing it because sometimes he and Tyr are enemies and Fenris and Tyr are enemies as well. So they're definitely different entities sometimes. And then another mm-hmm. another writer might kind of merge their stories together. There's like 28 different wolves in North mythology, so mm-hmm. that's a problem. I mean, 28 is a good number of wolves to have. Yeah. yeah. Inside you? There are 28 wolves. <laughs> what is the Groucho Marx joke? Like, outside of a man, uh, uh, oh. <laughs> his best friend is a... Wait, outside of a man, dog outside is a man's of a man. best friend. Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside, Inside of a dog, of a dog. is too dark to read. <laughs> yeah, it's too dark to read. 
<laughs> um, oh, we're obviously behind on our Grocio Marx lore. I know. I love I love the Marx Brothers, by the way. Highly problematic, yet I still love them. Back to Bifrost. Uh, be- yes. Bifrost is, is best bridge. Good bridge. <laughs> best bridge. Oh, he's a good bridge. Oh. Look at the- This, this one's spanning. hard. Because we've got Snorri Snorrelson. Snorri Sturluson. Snorri Sturluson. Who is best bard. The other guy. <laughs> oh. And then the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Which Snorri okay. Sturluson does not appear in as far as I know. And I'm going to Google that now. It is that getting- would be great if he did like did a kind of a Hitch- Hitchcock thing where you just see his profile. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting very hard to research this topic because Norse mythology has shifted mm-hmm. with good-looking Thor and Fat Thor and the talking raccoon thingy, and, uh, and lots and lots of Loki variants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does Fenrir break Bifrost, or is that someone else? Oh, because, right, the bridge. I'm not sure. That's a very good question. I just know that. Because it used to be a big Gar- part of the thing, right? Uh, Parts of Ragnarok. The tree falls, the snake goes, the oh, bridge breaks. Yeah, so maybe it's just like a domino effect of all of the other kind of things coming to fruition, right? So uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's getting very hard to Google these things. I know. I know. I know. But... um. One thing that well, so so Garmer bit off Tyr's hand, right? Because he was being tricked, right? So there's a lot of stories of how that happened, but that meant that, yeah, that led to political issues. I don't know where I was going with that, but just that that Garmer's not he's not necessarily a good boy or a bad boy because he did punish a liar. <laughs> Sometimes. There's no such thing as a bad dog. There's only bad owners. Mm. Sometimes good boys pee in the hallway because you forgot to let them out in the morning. So where does this take us? Does this take us to maybe a, a movie? It could take us to a very bad movie. Take It could take us to two movies. Oh, no. I- one is an animated film. It's true. I guess I'll start mm-hmm. with the worst one. That's That's mm-hmm. hard. That's really hard for me because they're both awful. In their own special, I shouldn't say that because one of them is a, is a classic animated film that I just happen to not like because it's got a cute saccharine little girl in it. Mm, yeah, they're the worst. Evil Dog. Evil Dog is a character in Don Bluth's animated eh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And if you if you watch it, there's a fairly scary scene where like a giant devilish thing is stalking over flaming landscape. But in the extended version, the original version, which was a lot more PG than the version that went to theaters ultimately. The main character, uh, Charlie, who's who's probably a bad dog, uh, at least in the beginning. He's a con artist and a swindler, um, and then tries to rescue this horrible, smarmy little girl who looks like one of those 70s big-eyed child paintings. Um, but he's going to con her, and he starts having guilty dreams about it. And he has a scary hell dream where a giant demon thing... Well, first off, he's in a boat that looks like the Grim Reaper boat going down the road, and it's all skeletal and has like a black cowl around it. And then up from the water appears this monstrous thing, and it's like a huge dragon dog with red wings, and it's breathing, dripping fire and blasting flame at him. And it's legitimately scary, I mean, as an image, well beyond any horror that I've seen in Don Bluth, which can be kind of scary. 
And it eventually like leans, it leans down and says something like you're mine now. And then, mm-hmm. um, Charlie, the little German shepherd character drowns in a flaming lake. It's quite a scene and it was cut out of, um, the later versions of this film along with the scene where Charlie is like run over by a car, that sort of thing. Uh, much darker, <laughs> yeah. much darker film, but, uh, someone posted a restored version. And there's some kind of creepypasta stuff kind of suggesting there's more bits that were left out, but no one can probably support that. But it's a really frightening image, this this hell dog. And the scene is pretty darn intense. It'd be a little bit much for a five-year-old. I'm going to say something which may not surprise you. Mm-hmm. I've never seen all dogs go to heaven. Uh-huh. And I didn't know it was scary. Uh, mostly it's annoying, but mm-hmm. there are moments that are scary. Huh. And there are moments that were cut out that were significantly scarier. Like the trailer doesn't look terrifying. No. I mean, the image where he goes to hell is, is again, that was cut for the most part. It's, it's a very minor scene in the movie. It's about a minute and a half long in the, in the restored version. Huh. Yeah. It's not a scary film. I just, I find it kind of taxing because the little girl in that is really annoying. Hey, Charlie. It's. <laughs> <laughs> awful um very blue no, tell us more very bluey little girl and and i don't know we need to, <laughs> movies about the death of animals are just uh yeah well the next movie is about the exorcism of an animal oh okay that's fine uh, yeah and it's it's confused and muddled it's a 1978 made for tv film and film like um the surface at the back of your throat when you've drunk too much milk film um <laughs> <laughs> Called Devil Dog, the Hound of Hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in this movie, it's a classic. It, I mean, I am glad you saw it. I did not see it in the theater. I did watch like half of it. And I'm preparing for this episode. Uh, I skipped around to everything that looked weird. 1978 film. This nuclear family, Mike and Betty, and their children, Bonnie and Charlie. Charlie, oh Charlie, <gasps> connection. Another Charlie. Um, and the kids were played by the kids from Witch Mountain. So these are like. Fairly oh, good. that's how I know them. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Because I was looking at the trailer. It's like, now where do those kids? I, yeah, there's I can't a, remember what else they were a in. A good Disney pedigree on those kids. So mm-hmm. the story's kind of muddled, but as far as I can tell, they want to adopt a dog. So, well, they want, they want a pet dog. So they get a puppy German Shepherd. But in the um, opening scenes, we see some Satanists. We watch some Satanists go to a pound where they adopt the like best breeding female dog for five thousand dollars i'm curious what the inflation rate is that on 1978 oh my goodness this movie does not like have a happy ending <laughs> like it ends spoiler so the, the dog the satanists the satanists adopt the dog for the price tag of twenty two thousand dollars adjusted for inflation wow yeah, that's some dog um, mm-hmm. and they get one that's just, you know, just about, you know, a proven breeder. Then they go and they have a satanic ritual, which like all film Satanist rituals, it's very like they have a resource level that is much higher than any Satanist I've met. Lots of Baroque ornamentation and a large mural of some sort of Bahamut Pazuzu hybrid in the back. And they tie this dog up in the middle of a red pentacle. And then they all go leave to watch the opening credits roll in. Um, (laughs) there i am during the ritual they invite the devil to send his son to breed with the dog which is kind of loki-esque i suppose in the hopes that dog will then go on to breed 
demon puppies that will create chaos to let devil into the world, which again, a little bit Baroque. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a Bond villain, like coming up with the most Rube Goldberg way Very, of yeah. all to take over Very the much world. so. And I, you're making assumptions <laughs> about the devil's son and whether he wants to, you know, boink a German shepherd. Unknown at this time. The dog has mind control powers and can telekinetically force male lead Mike to put his hand into a lawnmower, although somehow yep. he resists that. Um, mm-hmm. Can whisk Somehow, I don't know why this is scary, can whisk the tablecloth away from a table, leaving the vase on top of it undisturbed. Obvious Mm -hmm, demonic mm -hmm. energy at work there. Or or just a really, you know, like a magician. Yeah. Party party magic. Mm -hmm. So at the end, there's an epic scene where they go to fight the dog, where Mike is the only one that isn't like possessed by the dog. (laughs) Okay, there's... There's a satanic ritual. We yearn for you. We lust for you, father of darkness. Send your son, your seed, your beast, and take your rightful place as lord of the earth. Send him now. Bargus, Bargus, come. Bargus, Bargus, come. Bargus, Bargus, come. Bargus, Bargus, come. So is Bargus like a real it's a hell- demon? It's a hellhound. That's like another word for hellhound. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I saw that in the dictionary of demons and... Did not pay attention. So in the exciting climax, which is in some sort of like underground industrial district, Mike goes to the steam tunnels and he faces off with Lucky the dog, who has horns and a what looks like a feather boa. Um, <laughs> so cute. It's really strange. <laughs> it's like the best costume ever for a dog. Really adorable. You've got green eyes, uh-huh. little tiny horns, and a feather boa. And he mostly goes arf, arf in slow motion over and over again. And Mike uses some sort of angelic seal to banish him into a ball of flame. Uh, and then he goes away. But it turns out there's at least nine other puppies in the litter. So da da da. Dun, dun, dun. And that's what I experienced this this afternoon preparing for the show. Yes, I watched I watched part of this. The entire film is available on YouTube. And I have to say, one of the best things about it is they use the same shot of the dog, <laughs> the little puppy, kind of just looking like over and over again. And it's very much like if you took the omen and just cast it with dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, there's a lot of that energy. Also, I saw the same dog used in a in a recent issue, well, 2014 article, "Angelic Cat Saves Boy from Devil Dog." <gasps> what? Which is it's it's um role reversal. The original news article is basically like <laughs> a cat chases off a dog, but um, uh-huh. a a paranormal blog, Mystic Paranormal News, kind of plays up the animal protection and demon thing. A local Anokian witch named Gertrude, who communes with angels, verified that an angel had randomly been sent, been in the general area when it sensed a child was in danger, and then it sent the cat to fight the vicious demonic dog. Seconds later, the angel left the cat while the demon remained with the dog for fear of being exposed to the angel. And there's a picture of the dog from <laughs> Hell Dog, the movie, there. Oh my god. Possibly no relation, I- but it's a, a silly little article. Within hours <laughs> of being caged at a local animal control facility, Two men in black who identify themselves as federal investigators whisk the dogs away to parts unknown. <laughs> I like imagining that the minute that Angel left the cat, he just became a dick again. Yeah. Just like, you know. <laughs> the cat scratches the kid. Meow. <laughs> That's right. Goes and knocks some stuff off. Yeah. You know, some, the, some, some important glass objects. It jumps on the mantle somewhere. and knocks the face off. Exactly. Uh-huh. Meow. <laughs> I want to say, Jacob. And I say this so seldom. Thank you. 
Thank you, friend, for not inviting me to watch this movie. I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> it, was, it was not good. The, in, in the notes, it's like, Mike, the father, becomes suspicious when he finds a satanic shrine in the temple. Wait. wait, wait. In, in his attic. Oh, and I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, he- I, I said it. In the attic. Like, good job, Mike. You just found your dog is making a satanic shrine and now you're concerned? Yeah. Well, and then his family <laughs> teleports behind him in a throne or something. It's really weird. Like, he goes to oh. the attic entirely alone and he looks behind him and his, his family is all there saying, why are you messing with our candles? Oh, by the way, do you like the picture of Bahamut we painted in blood over the altar? <laughs> oh god yeah thank you thank you friend it's it's kind of like father knows best or any other you know 60 50s 60s sitcom where the dad is just completely clueless and everybody's just gaslighting him right and left yeah yeah by the way dad mm-hmm. the dog's possessed just so you know Ooh. <laughs> oh my god i need to go back and watch that again no no um, I mean, it's your life. If you want to eat McDonald's, you can you can eat McDonald's. <laughs> I'll get some McDonald's and watch Devil Dog. So I do have a special place in my heart for hairless dogs. Yes. I think they're adorable. We had one for a long time. He was very... He was sweet. I was going to say not sweet, actually. He was very standoffish and didn't like you very much. I mean, you... D- you didn't like Jamin? Didn't like, didn't, <laughs> didn't like people very much. <laughs> By the way, Jamin, <laughs> turns out... He really didn't care for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great dog all around. It was just me. So when I read about Keelut, a very Bargusty sort of thing, who's a Canadian Inuit area Bargust, is described as a large dog, hairless, with fur in its feet. I thought, oh my gosh, it's a it's um, a hairless dog, but from like the other end of the continent because hairless dogs are very South American, and this is very North North American. Yeah, very Alaskan. Wouldn't it be cold? Like, did they have to wear little parkas? I guess so. Yeah, that'd be kind of adorable. But they uh-huh. had, they had. I don't know why he was like hairless, but the the fur on his feet would let him not leave tracks. See, I I started this one. The Keelit and his friend, the the Kikirn. Basically, it's a hairless dog, except for its feet, its tail, and its ears. But that is where, like, Sholy and Squeedly have little tufts of fur. Are you sure this dog isn't actually just a poodle? I know. It is like a, a, you know, with the kind of frou-frou haircut. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, speaking of our our friend Jurgen, yeah, Jurgen was very keen on talking about how black dogs were poodles. Yeah. (gasps) Oh, so all black dogs are hypoallergenic too then? Well, yeah, maybe, but they're omens of death, so who could say? Well, I mean, you know. It's a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, there's a story, uh, a Kipling story about how uh, some people were thinking they were they were following one of these um, kilots because there was like evidence of this like multi-legged. It's all dogs are multi-legged, aren't they? But like an eight <laughs> eight-legged dog, an eight-legged dog they were tracking, but it turned out to be two sled dogs that were stuck together by their collars. Um, no. This um, story was very Rudyard Kipling. Like, what? he takes you on an emotional roller racist? coaster. <laughs> Wait. Sorry. Is that racist? Oh, no. Rudyard Kipling's very racist. Oh! As, as was, uh, you know, like, the, of course he was at that time and writing about India and whatnot. Uh-huh. Okay. Go okay. ahead. Sorry. You know, it's like, it takes you on this wild adventure, ups and downs, and then it's just vanilla ending. 
Yeah, two sled dogs stuck with their collars together. A part of this myth that I really kind of like, the keelet was associated with maybe with shamanic awakenings, uh, mm. which Ooh. have a strong like death and rebirth thing. So this kind of suggests this death omen dog might also be a ritual rebirth dog. And that was ergo the uh, being hypoallergenic. Oh no! Well, no. Would would a hairless dog also be hypoallergenic, or is it just? I mean, they have dander still, right? Yeah, they still have dander. They're actually like okay. less hypoallergenic than some, I think, because their fur doesn't trap the the fluff. Mm. And um, you know, we could probably extend this by talking about how the Sholoin squeakly dog, the hairless, is related to Sholok, the god of death. But mm. that's I I haven't done enough research there. Weirdly. <laughs> well, we could do it for the next dog episode. We'll probably end up doing like a Mexico episode too. Oh yeah, and also with our infinite return episodes, we'll come back to it and yes. fill in all the stuff that we missed. Um, we'll cover this in the last five minutes. Don't worry. <laughs> That's right. Just I've got yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going we'll to say more back about that. So, as a shamanic vision, right? The 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 black dog shows up, and suddenly you're a shaman. Your spirit. It's not really a spirit animal. Would you call it a psychopomp in which it doesn't show you the way to death, but it shows you the way to spirituality, which includes... Yeah, I I think an animal presiding over a sacred rebirth ritual would would qualify. So, would he be kind of like Anubis? Mm, Does Anubis do rebirth? Hmm, I guess not. Yeah. But, yeah, okay, never mind. Does Anubis have a cute, poofy tail? No. (sighs) Right. Okay. Um, Although, while we're there, we could talk about Amit just briefly. Oh, yeah, we could talk about Amit, and then there's one other dog we need to talk about. Oh, Amit is not adorable, I I think. No. Do we want to talk about the remaining dog before we go to Amit? Who's the remaining dog? It's a hyena. That's not a dog. Okay, where does he fit then? Hyenas I guess he's a demon. Well, well they're just not dogs. Okay, yeah. legally that's true. Yeah, legally they're not dogs. So what are they? What are hyenas? Um, hyenas are, they like- are closer to felids than than canids. Their nearest so like- their nearest relation is the mongoose. Seriously? Totally. Yes. Whoa, yes. that is fascinating. Yeah, they, if you look at their. Physical profiles, they're very much... Should we just talk about hyenas now? <laughs> I guess we already are. <laughs> Sorry, I my I did not know this. I'm learning... I learned something many day, times a day. Fair warning. You know, I'm a furry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my species what? my species was hyena for a while. I remember. And my partner Joseph's species is still hyena. So mm-hmm. we can babble about hyenas for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just do a hyena episode. They're really horrible creatures. Um, so I have some questions, but uh, I will ask. I will. I will mention some why we're talking about hyenas right now. Yeah, I'd even forgotten. if they're out of the wrong category. <laughs> well, they're, they're yeah, they're not. They're not doggos, but they're they're mm-hmm. like you reminded us that they're ridden by witches, which is really yes. cool. Like gourds filled with hyena butter, and the witches ride them and. They have a kind of sorcerer's association because of their like strange voices and their reputation for sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Witches or hyenas? Probably both. both. Yeah. Both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you pretty much covered it all, uh, but it's they're they're uh, in the demonology of uh, of East Africa. Um, Makes sense. 
But also, okay, so my question is, why a hyena? Well, they're, I mean, they're scavengers. So there's like a death image oh, there. Oh, you, you, why a hyena? <laughs> oh, um, at the time. Unless they you don't want to answer that. No, at the time they weren't very popular. And I, I kind of, I just like them. They're really amazing survivors. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like, why not a hyena now? Because I adopted a Mexican hairless dog. Mm, and he was mm-hmm. shrill and high maintenance, and I decided that fit. Okay, so you got yeah. Okay. Also, he doesn't have spots in real life, and it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. I've learned many, many things today. Yes, I yes. appreciate that. Hyena Do butter. To- hyena butter is pretty horrible stuff. It's like goop they have in their in their butt glands, and yeah. If you went to like the San Antonio Zoo. About like eight inches off the ground, there was like a band of like brown sludge over everything. It's pretty horrible stuff. They are not, they're not at all pleasant creatures. No. And. But they're very vocal. Like they have this huge range of like barks and whoops and growls and things like that. So they, they're spooky, um, spooky and nocturnal, which kind of can, I can imagine like witchcraft associations with them. And they also, their eyes kind of glow. I mean, they yeah, have, what is it they, called? Bioluminescence, I think. Um, they're just and, really reflective. Like, like a okay, lot of, yeah. a lot of carnivores have eye shine. And, That's what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Cause fish have by bio- like sea creatures have bioluminescence, but not yeah. a dog. Well, like it's during reflective. the day, they've got little like kind of lidded eyes, kind of like squinty things. But at night, mm-hmm. it looks like they've got like glowing dinner plates in their faces. <laughs> And that's why they thought, like, that when they're inhabited by spirits, their eyes would glow. Oh, I could believe that. It's it's really creepy looking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we want to, do you want to talk about Amit? Amit. Amit. Let's talk about Amit. Amit is assembled from, like, parts of horrible animals, kind of like Seth in that manner, I think. But there's such a cute uh, depiction of of. Amit kind of taking a little nippity nap under yeah. the, the judging. Or actually, she's next to a, a, a lake of fire in that right. image. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think of like my dogs waiting for me to like throw them, so a piece of, waiting for me to throw them a piece of like chicken or something like that when I'm cooking. They just sit around uh-huh. like waiting for the heart to be tossed down. Mm-hmm. Aww. Mm-hmm. Little Amit. So, Amit, I have a question for you. Yes. Given that we have Amit, who is not, does not have human characteristics, and then we have all of these jackal and dog-headed humans who, you know, are uh, literate and do all kinds of things, is Amit the Pluto, Disney's Pluto, of the Egyptian underworld? If Pluto ate people's hearts... Yes. Right. If Goofy were to just like occasionally toss Pluto. But it does feel like she might be part of like the Uber myth of like the guardian of the gates of hell because she eats mm-hmm. the hearts of bad people. So mm-hmm. she she's maybe part of the reason why you can't get into the afterlife in Egypt, because once she eats your heart, you're just kind of lost and drifty. And then you might get sent to a bad place after that. Right. So kind of guardian of the gates, but like four legged, not not two legged. So here's here's a, a side project. Uh-huh. We create stories of the Egyptian afterlife starring all Disney characters, but we're not going to call them Disney. We're going to change the names just enough to not get sued. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, uh-huh. I guess if we call them their proper names, we'll change their likenesses just enough to not get sued. 
having mini recast as Hawthor is a really strange <laughs> image. Well, you could have the hippo from Fantasia. True, true, true. I'm going to go on a limb saying you can't change it enough that Disney's not going to sue you. They're very litigious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can I can I share a vision of the Egyptian gods done uh, Disney style? What there actually is, of course there is. Yeah, well, this is um, they appeared in Hercules the animated series. Oh, and in this image we have a really awesome Horus, god of Pharaoh stuff, and Sekhmet, and I don't know who's the goat. I didn't know there was a goat god. This Knum, Knum the goat god, and they're they're pretty cute if somewhat emaciated. Although that is kind of the look and feel of the Hercules series. It's true. Like I want old school, like Goofy as Anubis. I couldn't but find this. That. Is this is okay? I know. See, this is this is how we this is how we get sued <laughs> and get famous because we got sued. But there's a goat in that picture, and goats are pretty firmly in the category of hellish animals. I feel like goats are kind of your expertise field, Victoria. <laughs> I would like to know why you said that. Well, in our other podcast that we used yeah. to host a long time ago, <laughs> I had a furry artist draw you as, uh, a, as goat, a goat, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a Krampus-inspired goat. Indeed. I am a big fan of goats. I enjoy it. If I were to be an animal, it would be a goat. I, I don't understand the source of the living deliciously and how it's associated with goats. I have... That- too much of oh, a deep ahead. dive. Um, I don't think it's too much of a deep dive, but living deliciously. I would. I do have a Grimm's fairy tale that may lead us into that about the association of goats with the devil. Okay. It's a lighthearted explanation of the association. If you want to hear a Grimm, a very short Grimm's fairy tale. La, let's have it. Okay, <laughs> la, let's have it. And um, so this is a tale called The Lord's Animals and the Devils. Have y'all heard this one before? No, but Grimm is big. Like, there's a lot of Grimm. He was a beast of a scholar. There's a lot of Grimm. There's a lot of Grimm. Um, so the Lord God had created all animals and had chosen out the wolf to be his dog, but he'd forgotten the goat. Then the devil made ready and began to create also and created goats with fine, long tails. Now, when they went to pasture, they generally remained caught in the hedges by their tails, whereupon the devil had to go and disentangle them with a great deal of trouble. This enraged him at last, and he went off and bit off the tail of every goat, as may be seen today by the stump. Then he let them go to pasture alone, but it came to pass that the Lord God perceived how at one time they gnawed away at a fruitful tree and at another injured their noble vines or destroyed other tender plants. This distressed him so that in his goodness and mercy, he summoned his wolves who soon tore in pieces the goats that went there. When the devil observed- What? (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. Yes. This this brings together a lot of things we've talked about. No goats were harmed in the making of this story. <laughs> in his so, goodness and mercy, he released the wolves. To, to yeah, release the hounds. Yes, to kill the devil's goats. So when the devil observed this, he went before the Lord and said, Your creatures have destroyed mine. The Lord answered, Why did you create things to do harm? Unlike God, um, the devil said, I was compelled to do it inasmuch as my thoughts run on evil. What I create can have no other 
nature and you must pay me heavy damages. I will pay you as soon as the <laughs> devil so, sued the god. I love yes. that. for damages to goats. Uh huh. It's 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 like Judge Judy. You it's, know, it's very Belial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who is also just like Judge Judy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, essentially. So God said, I will pay you as soon as the oak leaves fall. Come then, your money will then be ready to be counted out. When the oak leaves had fallen, the devil came and demanded what was due him. But the Lord said, in the church of Constantinople, no less. Not. Uh, not. Not Istanbul. What? <laughs> um, I forgot. Istanbul. Okay. Uh, there stands at the at the church in Constantinople, not Istanbul, um, stands a tall oak tree, which still has all of its leaves. With raging and curses, the devil departed and went to seek the oak, wandered in the wilderness for six months before he found it. And when he returned, all the oaks had in the meantime covered themselves again with green leaves. Then he had to forfeit his indemnity. And in his rage, he put out the eyes of all the remaining goats and put out his own in, and put in his own instead. <gasps> That's why goats have... Scary eyes. Yes, exactly. That's why all the goats have devil's eyes and their tails bitten off and why the devil likes to assume their shape. Huh. Although, mm-hmm. as we all know, it's actually Leonard. Leonard. Yes. So imagine Leonard doing all this because Leonard would be litigious. Yeah. Yeah. He, that's he likes job. paperwork. He does. Mm-hmm. And posing as a goat for Sabbaths. Yep. 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 So I think the way to get to the live deliciously thing. Is through Baphomet. Okay. Who is somewhat goatish. Who is somewhat goatish. Okay. And, well, there's this whole story. Like, he originally was a deity of the Knights Templar. And in their persecution or their inquisition, they were held up as being, uh, as engaging in all kinds of licentiousness, including homosexuality and all kinds of things that were, you know, Kind of along the lines of what we think of as, you know, what what the what Black Philip is talking about. Yeah. And then but we also have Pan, who is part of this. And so Baphomet, the the current idea of Baphomet has that that Pan like appearance as well. But Pan is playful and fun. Eh, is he? <laughs> but he's also like, you know, sexually voracious. Okay, what he's a little bit sluttonous. Come on, he's sluttonous, sluttonous pan. But it's, it's playful sluttony. It goes, well, kind of goes all over the place. I mean, there's no such thing as a really good Greek god. <laughs> no, they're all terrible. I mean, there's a, so much rape. Yeah, so much yeah. rape, and just turning people into cows because they uh, did not like they 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 did not like the rape. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> I could not get on board with all the rape. Um, and so, cow. <laughs> it's, uh, but- <laughs> it's me, moo. I won't use that line. I'll delete that line now. <laughs> no, I kind of like hashtag me, moo. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually really funny. So, I want to touch on another figure that kind of explains this potentially. That is, I mean, it's it's a little apocryphal, but it's also based in... The truth. N- n- like Rick- Greek mythology, mm-hmm. but it is the the goat of Mendes. Oh, I just read that one. Mm-hmm. So, the goat of Mendes, and this, this uh, so the kind of famous idea 
uh, that we have of Baphomet was originated with, um, what is his name? Levy. Oh, wait, it's something Levy. Eliphius Levy. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the, in the 19th century. So this is a much later, like Baphomet, Baphomet's been going through a lot of changes from the Knights Templar vision to the 19th century. Yeah. But he cites the go to Mendez with some, um, taking some truth and bending it a little bit. But, uh, so this is from Herodotus, Herodotus's account about the god of Mendes, which is the Greek name for the city, uh, Jet, Dijet. Um, and this god was depicted with a goat's face and legs. So Herodotus relates how all male goats were held in great reverence by the Mendesians and how in his time a woman publicly copulated with a goat. So there's a whole thing about a relationship like Pan was worshipped and a goat were worshipped, and there's accounts of women, you know, having relations with goats, one goat in particular, and so there's a sense of potentially that kind of living deliciously, salacious aspect of goats comes about. And then, of course, it's, you know, comes all the way through um, Crowley and others. Crowley but, has a lot to say about Baphomet. Yeah. But of course, the movie The Witch was based on real transcriptions of witch trials. Um, and so the one thing is like in a lot of the the trials themselves, there's not a whole lot of talk about goats and consorting with goats. But they think that it's kind of borrowed into the mythos. Hmm. Okay. So that... That the the wouldst thou like to live deliciously quote may have come from a um, a witch trial, and those are all tied up in the Black Sabbath, the the, the mm-hmm. Sabbath and the Devil's Party and such. Yep. Wouldst mm-hmm. thou like a taste of butter, a pretty dress? Would thou like to live deliciously as a temptation to the main character? And also, I mean, the temptation's not necessarily sexual, but it's for worldly goods. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that the, a pat of butter is not really licentious to my mind, but no, especially because they you know live on a farm. It point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's like, I'm lousy with butter, <laughs> bro. I what got else some you butter, got? Yo. Can you tempt me uh-huh. with an Xbox instead? <laughs> Would thou like to live deliciously? Mm-hmm. Is the next McDonald's slogan. You're right. (laughs) I'm loving it. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? If they had like, you know, a Cabrito, what would it be like? Cabrito, oh, oh, something. Mm, Cabritos. The the land, (laughs) sea, sky, and tin can. (laughs) Oh, you could call it the big yak, but oh, actually uh work. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I would I um, like that. So, can we talk about chickens? Yes, I, I have the some ultimate, intel. As long as we're talking about McDonald's food, let's talk about chicken. The ultimate pet. Chickens are the ultimate pet. Um, the 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 pet that will never recognize you because they are tiny dinosaurs. 
So I used my rusty German to look at some of those stories in German you sent. Jorgen sent uh, Or Jorgen sent them. Thank you, Jorgen. Um, and I apologize for my butchering of my understanding of what is happening. But they all, both of them, I didn't read, I couldn't read <laughs> the one in black letter. I was not able to figure out because I'm not as well versed in, in reading black letter. Uh, <laughs> and, but it happens in Swabia. I believe that's where these things happen. And each story involves, I think at one point, well, finding a lot of strange things in this, this one area uh, near this castle, including a skeleton that is not laying down, but instead is standing up. And there's other interesting things found that I could not find a translation for uh, or could not remember <laughs> what those things were. But also one of the stories involves a donkey, I think, going to get water. And then not returning. So the farmers go to look for the donkey. Maybe there's a person involved with the donkey. And um, they see that the castle's gone. And so it is sunk into the earth. And so uh, three days later, they hear a rooster crowing from deep inside the earth. This is a bit, and then, a bit Monty Python at this point. It is, a, it is very Monty Python. Another one involves a woman, maybe a witch, going to get water like with a teaspoon. And she, I think, also disappears. There's, again, something that disappears. Castle sinks, again, with the crowing. The weird thing, <laughs> the weird thing about all these is that one of the stories involves an egg. There's something about an egg. I could not figure it out. However, I have a connection to the egg that also involves an evil chicken and a witch trial. So, have you heard about a creature called a cockatrix? Cockatrice? Yes. Have, have heard of. It's a D&D mm -hmm. monster. No, yeah, it's, like, it's an actual critter. I sincerely doubt that. It's like a basilisk, or I mean, it's the same thing as a basilisk, basilisk essentially. Um, so this is important. This, this connects to the egg, the egg, because during the 15th century, there was a uh, rooster who laid an egg. Gasp. And because this was clearly the sign of devil possession... Everybody was consternated and, and, and afeared of the egg and the rooster. So the reason why is because an egg laid by a rooster and then incubated by a toad would... Turn into McDonald's Big Mac. <laughs> it's swamp, <laughs> sky, and earth. Um, and special it sauce. It would turn into... <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out Satan is the special sauce here. Um or hyena butter. Oh no. no. So but but an egg that had been handled like laid by a rooster, incubated by a toad, would hatch a cockatrice. So everybody's freaked out. And so uh you have to to prevent this from from hat to prevent the egg from turning into a cockatrice, you have to throw it over a house and uh, you have to throw it over without the egg touching the house. There's no mention of whether somebody catches the egg so it doesn't break or not, but it can't touch the house. Have a very small so, house. I think houses were probably <laughs> smaller back then anyway. Exactly. Yeah. 
But the rooster, as you may imagine, as as often happens in these situations, was put on trial. And uh, he and his egg were burnt at the stake. Oh, staking an egg is very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's a balancing act. But again, you have this kind of circle of life breakfast sandwich from McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say, the reason Mm -hmm. there were no cockatrices, cockatrices, cockatrices? Cockatrices. I would say cockatrices because that's fun to say. Yeah. The reason there were none of these demon chickens in Southeast Asia is because quite often they had naked men on the roof with swords and if you right. threw an egg at them. You just swat mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. Like, pff, problem That's solved. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It makes perfect sense of everything comes back to naked men on roofs of swords. Mm-hmm. But also, interestingly enough, one of the ways to kill a, a cockatrice is, or a cockatrice is a rooster crow. Like, they, they are terrified of rooster crows. So that, like, the, the way to get rid of them also involves toads and roosters. So, if a rooster lays an egg, it is then afraid mm-hmm. of roosters. Yes. They have, so, the egg... The cockatrices have daddy issues. So, let's, and, mm-hmm. let's translate this. <laughs> mm-hmm. If a human dude has a kid, and that kid grows up... To, and, be, to be evil. And another dude says to him, hey, bro, do you even lift? Uh-huh. Problem solved. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> What is mythology? What is mythology? I'd like to talk about the porcupomp now. Let's oh, talk about oh, the porcupomp. <laughs> okay. Um, right on to the porcupomp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about psychopomps a few times, and there's one more we found. Great many more than one, I promise. Just but one. The, Just the, one. The, the, the porcupomp. So, this is a story from the Zulu mythology of a man, Unkama, who kind of begins the story he's described as being kind of old and wizened but when he starts telling it you know he's a he's a young man in this um in this village who's planting some grain and every time the grain is about to be ripe a porcupine would eat all of the grain this happened over and over again probably probably three times you know everything happens three times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so unkama being a fairly clever person waited for a wet morning with a lot of dew and would follow the porcupine to its den and have one less porcupine in the world. The plan worked. He was able to follow the porcupine's trail in the dew and got to the porcupine's hole, which was big enough for him to go through. And I don't know if that just kind of mythic size adjustment or if it was a really big porcupine hole unknown at this time. The hole was very dark, but eventually his eyes adjusted the light and he went in and he saw that there was a pool of water that he crossed um, because he could. And then a river that he crossed. Um, so crossing over a river underground, I think that's a trope. Mm-hmm. And beyond there, still kind of driven by a hunger for revenge and presumably grain, he kept going further and further. And down past the river water, he found a village with dogs and children. And there's kind of this mountainous landscape behind it. This is all underground. So at this point, he decided to let go of the porcupine hunt and return home because this is a bit much for him. When he got there, he found out that his wife had burned all of his possessions because he'd been gone for years. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of this Rip, Rip Van Winkle situation. He was older. Mm-hmm. He was missing teeth. He had, like, excessive ear hair. And all of his oh, the villagers dear. shunned him because he had come back from the land of the dead. 
Mm-hmm. One wonders if he had actually died, in fact. Allegedly. So, <laughs> so this is kind of one of those, like, fairy death underworld stories that overlap. But it's a neat one, and I don't know many porcupine psychopomp stories. Ergo, this is the porcupomp. This is the first one, I would say. Maybe. Maybe a very old porcupomp. Mm-hmm. This one this one confused me because in terms of the story, it's like I'm gonna go on an adventure, I'm gonna cross the river underground, I'm gonna find a village, but he doesn't talk to the villagers, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't eat anything, he just immediately turns around and goes home. Like I saw the land on the other side of the river, but I don't know anything about it. It's like Spiny Norman in a uh, Monty Python, the hedgehog. I guess it's a hedgehog, not a porcupine. What? Doomsday. Oh. Spiny <laughs> Norman Python. A, Monty Python. Yes, yeah, so you have to. You can Google Spiny Norman Monty Python, and you'll see what I'm talking about. In the version I have of the story from HeritageHistory.com. The Ukama's reasoning was if he went to the village, he'd be a stranger and they wouldn't like him and they might attack him. Oh, okay. (gasps) Okay. So were you saying, so we've had some confusing, some confusing animals, the porcupomp, a fish that somehow was flexible enough to wind its way around a mountain. You know, that flexibility was the biggest problem I had with that story. (laughs) <laughs> Not the I giant it, lake inside the mountain, the Staffelberg. T-standard. I, because of the flexibility and the confusing nature of that fish, I will say it's an eel. Because eels are, by nature, your most confusing fish. They are really puzzling. Mm-hmm. So, because they are flexible, long, and confusing, I think that fish is an eel. I, I I have always been confused by eels. I've never had a good conversation with one. No. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. They don't make eye contact. Or they make too much eye contact, so you don't really know, like, you know, are they listening? Yeah. And they blank out your credit cards. They really do. They make good pie. Mm-mm. That's true. They do. No. Uh-huh. No, they don't. I made that pie. It was it was bad. Have you ever made stargazy pie? Mm, I actually like stargazy pie. I do too. There was a place in Houston that <gasps> used to have stargazy pie. Is that with the fish heads facing out of the pie crust? Yes. Uh huh. So good. Oh my god. It was called. It was no. It doesn't exist anymore. Oh. It was called Feast, and it was all kind of like almost kind of like medieval cooking. So they oh, had stargazy amazing. pie. They had a lot of things made with blood. Uh, it was it was delightful. I loved that place. It might have been. It may have done better in a colder place because everything was like super, super heavy. Yeah, <laughs> but it was so freaking good. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this particular rambling diatribe. If you'd like to get in touch with us, join our conversation, or support us on Patreon, go to our website dispatch.ist and then f- check the find us on link for more information. Yes. Yes. You've already made a plug for our Morbid Anatomy lecture on the history of Satan's. Yes, um, but if you don't know about morbidanatomy.org, you could go there and look at the huge variety of classes they offer, one of which is A History of Satan's. Click on A History of Satan's and purchase your tickets. And it's September 17th. Yes. Mark that on your calendar. Which is coming up. Oh, my God. I know. Not ready. Not ready. <laughs> yeah. But until then, we will see you in hell. 
Bye. Bye. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. Hey, Jacob. Yes. Was that really a diatribe or more of a fulmination? Um...